Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to MAP Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome to Mavs Sports Day episode 45, your weekly podcast for sports, business, and more. Here we tackle the business of all the news you hear about tonight. David and I will be welcoming our guest, host of the Dating Satan podcast, host Isha Carr. Isha is a top credit coach and licensed real estate agent that took her relationship building expertise to a book called Dating Satan. And now, an hour-long weekly podcast that focuses on the trials we all experience in the dating world. And later, we will also hit up some mailbag questions story time with Dave and explore the secret sauce of scouting the tight end position. Before we get David Turner, I know we had some technical difficulties to start. I know life is annoying sometimes, but my friend, we are here back live. Mass Sports Day episode 48. How are you, my friend? 48, 45. There we go. Yep. 45. We're not that old just yet. You're aging us a little bit. I'm doing great. You know, just another day in the neighborhood out here in Arizona, over 100 degrees, and just try to stay out of the heat. Keep it all uh, cool and collective and going forward. And yeah, a little technical difficulty, but we got it straightened out. And I'm excited to talk with Keisha about this, um, these topics we got going tonight, because I think it's a area that's often uh, hushed into the shadows, but not something that's put out. So I think it'll be fun to see what she has to say about dating athletes uh, and the athletes that choose to date. I like that. Hushed into the shadows. I might use that in a scouting report. I don't know how, but I like how it's phrased. And we want to thank everybody that is live with us tonight, whether you are on Twitter, Facebook, or the YouTube world. We have the chat up. If you would like to ask any questions, sports world, dating world, we're bringing you everything tonight. David, before we even start, all I have to say is I am so glad, and this is knock on wood, I don't jinx myself here. I'm so glad that I never have to date again. I just want to put that out there <laughs> before we get to the topic of the night. Um, happily married. Hopefully that lasts for a long time. Before we get into the conversation with, Ke- with Keisha, we want you to know that Maverick Sports Consulting would like to say to you, if you're a college looking to improve your recruiting department to maximize the transfer portal, high school recruiting, and junior college transfers to turn your program around quickly. David has 19 years of personnel experience, 10 years of NFL experience managing college scouting departments, as well as pro personnel departments. Mavericks is primed and ready to work with your existing staff and coaches to build you a recruiting department that will mirror your efforts in the coaching department. Let David and Maverick Sports Consulting assist you building a championship team in 2021 please visit mavericksportsconsulting.com. So we are going to bring on now Ms. Keisha Carr, 
on to the stream if I could figure it out. There it is. She is joining us now, host of the Dating Satan podcast. The Dating Satan podcast explores toxic connections within personal relationships and immediate family. The host, Keisha Carr, asks her guests to share stories about defeating obstacles, open up about everyday challenges, and share ideas and advice for overcoming toxic relationships. We will break down the misconceptions that Satan is only a male in the relationship. Each one-hour episode of the podcast zeroes in on the topics we all think about regularly, like the healing process after dating Satan, red flags, healthy relationships, the effects of social media on relationships, self-analyzation, and effective communication. This podcast is real and relatable, exciting and educational, and will have you fully engaged with the joy, pain, and comedy we all go through in life. Keisha, appreciate you for hopping on tonight. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ryan and David. Oh, we're excited to dive into this with you. This is this is going to be fun for our our listeners. I guarantee you. Absolutely. And I know, Keisha, we want to really obviously focus on, you know, we're talking dating athletes, pitfall of dating athletes, and what expectations should be of dating athletes. We want to kind of get into the podcast, Dating Satan. I would love if you could just give our listeners a little background on the podcast and how you developed the concept for it. So I'll start with the background of the developing the podcast. Initially, I was um, a few years back, I was dating a guy who was 12 years older than me. And um, it was a very, very, very manipulative, narcissistic relationship. So um, I started calling him my Satan after we started, like the dating started to dwindle down. And um, I was like, I want to write a book called Dating Satan. So um, I opened a group on Facebook for Dating Satan. And I just wanted to actually just get feedback and other people's perspectives and experiences. And I did um, some podcasts just to get other people's uh, experiences. And it just developed into the podcast that actually the book never finished because the podcast went so well. Um, The show has guests from everywhere across the United States, typically people over 30 professionals um, that have crazy dating experiences and surprisingly most of the people on my show that have been Satan have been the women and so I really want to kill that misconception that Satan is always a male and I like to um, even in business relationships sometimes that can be toxic or family relationships is so many broken families that people in your family could be a Satan to you that could bring you down or Um, affect your dating with another person. Some people's parenting with their mother or their father has a long-term effect as an adult with how they date people. So I just like to address those type of things. And of course, I like to make it entertaining and empowering and a little education sometimes, but definitely entertaining. I love it. (laughs) And do you have any plans? Uh, is the book going to be finished or are you telling the story every week now? Is this the, is this just the chapter by chapter? Um, no, I'm going to finish the book uh, because every episode I get more content for the book. So I'm definitely finishing the book. Um, I'm actually going to explore doing like speed dating and then maybe a dating site for dating Satan. So I'm looking to expand it, actually. 
I don't know about a Dayton Satan website. <laughs> I'm, I'm, as a single guy, I don't know if I would be signing up for a Dayton Satan. I'd be like, I'd be kind of leery of that one. <laughs> but you know what? Surprisingly, in the Facebook group, a lot of people have dated and connected behind the scenes. So it may work out because they're two of a kind and they kind of can relate to each other. It may work for them. Because now you obviously know this person is toxic because they're in the group. So in the stuff they post, so you kind of know how to deal with them. Yeah, David, people definitely. I mean, I mean David, if 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 OK Cupid doesn't work for you, just go date and Satan, man. Okay, <laughs> I haven't even heard of that one. I don't even know that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm in, I'm on that over forty site. You know, I'm just like eh, whatever. Um, or, yeah, uh, farmers only, but I'm not a farmer, so I'm trying to get, find one out here in Arizona. I don't know if they farm out here cactuses, um, but but Keisha, really quick, I want to dive into your expertise here. What's the best advice you can give a young college athlete about dating on campus while also playing a sport for that university? The biggest advice I could probably give is have a woman that, or a girlfriend, woman, whatever you want to call it, um, that supports you, that stays on you about going to tour days, about going to practice, about um, supporting you going to your games. Because that is a lot as well. Sometimes you even need a woman that's going to stay on you about your classwork to be eligible to play. Because some women will just want to be with you just to say they go with a football player. Uh, their boyfriend is a football player and they have no intentions of loving you correctly, they're just looking for the long haul, which is the NFL. And most women don't even think most college players, high school players won't even go to the NFL. They don't even think that, oh, he might not go. He needs to focus on his education and let's think long haul if football doesn't work out. Um, another thing I would say is no mean no. When they tell you no, no means no. I don't care what you were drinking, what party you were at. No means no, because a regular Joe Smo in college could tell them no and they could do something and they can get away with it. But because you're an athlete, the spotlight is on you and they're going to go the extreme to embarrass you and the university. So um, definitely don't put yourself in situations with females that say no or that I'm just being honest, that are known to date around with athletes. Because typically if they're dating around with athletes, they're not looking for something serious. They're just looking for the next big catch. Now, what My about – let's talk about female athletes mm. dating on campus. So I had a couple of friends who ran track. Their experience, most of them just dated athletes. They didn't really date normal guys. They kind of stuck to athletes. But for female athletes, still the same thing. If he can't support that, you know, you can't stay out all night. You have to get up and go work out or you got to go live. And he's telling you, you know, you can stay up for a couple hours or he's trying to. I'm just going to be honest. Guys will try to trap you as well. So um, because it's crazy as it sounds, guys are jealous. So even dating a normal guy what? or a big time what? athlete. Yeah, yes, they're what? jealous. Not a chance. Zero, zero yeah, chance. Hey, hold on. More, that's that's not a guy. That's not a guy specific emotion. Now, I, I, I that's not a guy thing. specific emotion. It's more of an ego thing. 
Ooh. more of a, some guys, if they're not confident in their self and their woman is this big superstar on campus, it may be hard for the ego more than anything. So you have to definitely deal with someone that's secure and confident in being with you. So any red flags that you can see of him being insecure, he's on your social media, he's checking your phone, red flag, leave. Because it's only going to get worse. Because in this day and age, social media is so prevalent for most high school, college kids. They're getting caught up. You can't pretty much do anything in private. A person can't wait to expose you. So definitely be cognizant of what you DM, text, because everything is for screenshot. Everyone wants to. This is a cancel, expose culture. So be, really be aware of what you're doing and what you're sending people. So what you're saying is it's good that these weren't involved while I was in college. Got it. <laughs> it, 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 it it's definitely different from I came out of school in 2003. We were just getting into MySpace and other little stuff. So it wasn't as big as it is now with TikTok, Snapchat. Like people look at your Snapchat and will look at the people in your background to see who you're with. You can, I hate to say it, you could probably get away with a lot more. I went to Michigan State. It was literally guys that would have a girlfriend on the south side of campus and another girl on the west side of campus because it was so big. But now it's not that easy because social media has messed it up. <laughs> messed it up. <laughs> it, it's definitely not, it's not for cheaters. It, Social media is not for cheaters. Keisha, I, I want to talk. I, this is really fascinating to me because obviously, you know, getting the female perspective, I think is very important because obviously I, I can't feel that, right? Like I could try to put myself in your shoes, have as much empathy as possible, but I, I have no, I have no ability to directly feel what it feels like to be a female that is, you know, maybe approaching a college athlete. So can you just explain maybe a little bit of the differences from the approaching of being a man versus a woman approaching a college athlete potentially to date in the dating world? Um, so I'll talk about my experience. So mm -hmm. um, my college sweetheart, we met our freshman year. And when I got to college, Michigan State football players were like the thugs of campus. So I was actually scared when we approached each other because their reputation was so bad. So um, he actually went the opposite way and was like the super nice guy at first, really religious. Um, I think for both male and female, um, when approaching or dating, just keep in mind it's competition, especially for athletes. Every girl wants to be where every guy wants that star athlete or not even a star athlete, just an athlete, just to say that they're with an athlete. I I probably got more friends in college because I went with a football player. I was in a relationship with a football player that genuinely didn't want to be my friend. They wanted my boyfriend's friends, his teammates. So that was definitely um, hard for me because I couldn't kind of decipher who was really my friend and who was really my friend because they wanted my boyfriend's teammates. So uh, that was kind of difficult. But when approaching them, the best advice I can say is be yourself. Um, people tend to like genuine people, especially athletes. When they can tell that you're genuine and you're not looking for anything and you want to actually see them win in life and not just the sport, 
it's much more appreciated. So when you're uh, when a, a female is approaching a college athlete, whether it's football or basketball or track, whatever, you just like be yourself. But so many girls are out there like that doesn't tell me anything, Keisha. Like, I want to get this guy. Like, tell me, give me the secret sauce. Confidence. The biggest. The biggest sauce for me was being confident. Like if it was 10 girls trying to talk to him, I still felt like. I was number one and I was going to be his girlfriend or I am his girlfriend. The biggest thing is confidence. Cause if they see you're shallow or insecure, they'll play on that. And that's not just athletes. That's just people in general. They'll tend to play on your weak points and they'll manipulate them. And then you'll go from wanting to be the main girlfriend to accepting I'm the side chick when their confidence isn't there and you're not supportive and you kind of just let them run over you and they'll take advantage of it. So the biggest thing I could say is confidence. The being yourself, being if you're confident in yourself and you're real and relatable, people will see genuine people. And that'll sell you far better than body, hair, makeup, just being yourself and being confident. So now let's switch the let's switch the script a little bit, go up a notch. What should a professional athletes be watching for um, when they're out and once they're, you know, having their uh, good time? Like if they're at the club, what should the because I have the theory and, you know, I've shared this theory with you where the athlete thinks that they're the hunter, but really they're the prey when you go to these situations like like the girls get all done up and put the lures out just to get the attention, but they're the ones with the hooks trying to get them into the athlete more than the athlete thinks. And, and you and I had a little discussion about this. So I'd love for you to share that with the audience. So. Uh, definitely for athletes, professional athletes, you are definitely the prey because when you go into a club nine times out of 10, they're going to announce on the microphone that, such and such from whatever team or whatever sport is is now in our club or they're here. And for a woman that follows sports, they're going to know a body type of an athlete. They're going to say, oh, he's 6'8", he's kind of muscular, he's with a bunch of other tall dudes or... They got a scouting report. You hear this, Ryan? They got a scouting <laughs> yeah. report. Well, like, like <laughs> even myself, you, I can look at a guy and be like, okay, he's a running back. He plays tight end. He plays wide receiver, I can look at a guy and say he's on a defensive line by their body type. So women, especially women who uh, tend to, I don't want to say groupie, but who want athletes and want that lifestyle, they probably researched you before you even noticed them. They found out you probably were going to be at the club. They probably followed you on social media and know what type of other people that you follow. So they know what look you like. They probably know what you like to drink. So they might buy you a drink because most athletes are used to spending money. So for a woman, and this is the biggest game of any woman for an athlete, the biggest thing is if you buy them something to drink because they don't expect some, for someone to do anything nice for them or spend money or offer them something. So that little thing right there is going to put you above anybody else in the bar. Because most women are looking for something and not willing to give. Although that may just be a tactic to just get the, you know, initial investment. They still want to withdraw. They're definitely praying 
they definitely know who they want, what you do. I was actually talking to a, a, a girl yesterday and me and her dated the same athlete for a while. And she was like, yeah, I knew his contract information, everything. And I was like, really? Like, you'll be surprised that women really research the, the athletes. And it was crazy because when um, my boyfriend in college was going transition into the NFL, it was scouts would come to the house and they would talk to him. And the guy told him, he said, the biggest downfall of athletes, it isn't the drugs, it isn't the drinking, it's not the playing time, it's women. And we were both sitting there and I'm like, what you mean it's women? He's <laughs> like, women can't, they'll, they'll get pregnant, that can take child support. Um, he was like, you know, having a bad relationship can distract you from playing on the field or, you know, your sport in general. It can be a distraction. So now you're not playing as well because you're mentally distracted or they'll, um, what do you say? Even with the saying no, like that can put you in a bad situation where you could be thinking you're just having fun and we've been drinking, we're partying. And then she can say tomorrow, I told him no. And it's your word against hers. And nine times out of 10, they're going to automatically assume you're guilty and you have to prove that you're innocent. So I definitely would say if you have someone that you've known before you got to the next level and they liked you, whether you played or didn't play when you had tore your ACL and they were at surgery with you and supported you, that's probably the person you should keep. Keisha, I'm just really impressed because, you know, me and David taught a scouting course, right? And we've had a, we had a whole seminar on body typing and David, you know, is, was in the game for 18 years. We should have just had you on and tell us like, oh, that's a running back, right? That's a tight end. Well, we wasted our time, to be honest. That was crazy. <laughs> No, I love how they and I, I love how they use the internet to find out contract information and right. and all that stuff that like we we do because we're nerds. But they're like, no, I'm trying to hunt. I'm gonna go find the one with the who's on the verge of a new contract. So once he gets it, here we go. And it's so readily you know, available. I know, I know, Keisha, you talked yes. about the uh, social media aspect, but like I could Google somebody's contract information right now, and I could tell you exactly what their signing bonus was, how much they're making every single year. Like, it just everything is just so easily available now. Yes. And like you said, like they announce it on the club, like Todd Gurley's in the club. You just pick up your device, you type in his contract, you got it, you see what it is, and you're like, oh, and you got a headshot, you you got the mug shot, you got the financials, you got everything when just holding up your phone and get it done. And it's and it's becomes let me just keep walking past his booth. He'll notice me. That that's what it comes. But it's crazy because when you just said the scouting thing, every dude I've dated three professional athletes. And every one of them made me learn a playbook. So I kind of got it from a different perspective. Like, if you're going to be here, you're going to have to learn this playbook with me because you have to go over plays with me. Wow. So I kind of can. Yeah, I've learned it from offensive tackle to defensive tackle to punt return, kick return. And she likes the big guys. She so likes the big body guys. typing. No, but- you can coach too. You know how to go through a playbook. I am so impressed. This is the best guest we've ever had. I yeah, when we were doing the line adjustments, I'd be, we should have brought her on and talk about four eye, three technique. She'd probably know Listen, how to do all that. Four three, what side of the hash they're gonna be on when they're gonna throw it to the slot receiver? I know it. <laughs> Love it. I love it. Keisha, I, I know it for, for, so I want to take us to a to a 
slightly different different uh, perspective here. So in your expert opinion, what would you say are, because you've been telling us a lot of truths about the dating world, both from the woman's perspective, both from the man's perspective, but I would love to hear about some misconceptions. What are some misconceptions that you believe women have when dating male athletes? The biggest misconception is that they all have money. And that's just being honest. Um, uh, like say a guy gets free agent or league minimum. Most of them didn't come from money. Their family background is now looking for them to support them. So say they free agent, go seventh round, fourth round. Typically five, six years after they finish playing, they're broke. They have bad credit. They're irresponsible with their money. So what you thought was a, unless you're getting a first round person and even some first round guys are irresponsible with their money or they may get a habit that mm -hmm. takes from their money. So I would definitely say don't think longevity and think, oh, I just hit the mega millions with the athlete because most are definitely irresponsible with their money. And they'll come, they'll do frivolous things to show out against another athlete in a bar to see who can buy the most bottles, who can do this. And then their next, now they're broke for the next week until they get their next check. And most of them aren't um, paying cash. They're financing things. So say they get hurt or say they get cut. They now put themselves in a situation where they're obligated to a mortgage, a car note, credit card, and they're not getting that normal five, six, 10, 15,000 a week. But their lifestyle is for that 15,000 a week that they were getting. Nine times out of 10, they're going to be broke. Most... From my experience, most athletes don't learn credit or financial literacy, so they make tremendous uh, mistakes their first year because they're not used to having money and they don't know how to budget and plan for the future. Like the NFLPA kind of gives them the surface stuff. They don't give them no credit literacy, no educational stuff to do with life beyond football as far as finances. And they don't. Another thing is. With the concussions thing, a lot of them are mentally unstable because, one, they're so used to the camaraderie. Most of them have been playing since they were like eight, nine years old in the high school, college. So they're used to a schedule of going to work out. They're used to being around the guys, the teammates. So to go to a normal life for them is probably the biggest transition. And a lot of them have a hard time dealing with it which can affect your relationship just because they're not confident. They're not used to being normal. They're not used to having to wait in line to get into the club to have to go to be a normal person is definitely hard. And a lot of athletes don't look at getting a degree. They look at getting, getting into the league and being a professional athlete. So then some of them don't have anything to fall back on to be normal. And it's really a hard adjustment for them mentally. And, and not yeah, only like do they have anything to fall back on, like you said, that the financial aspect, a lot of people are very irresponsible in their mind. We had Corey Proctor on, who's a financial advisor, and he talked a lot about the pitfalls of some athletes have after they, you know, get out of the game. Is like they they didn't manage their money well when they were playing, and then the well runs dry, and unless they are investing in themselves and they have a career after football, and I think it's just the harsh reality that people kind of don't really talk about much. They don't talk about it. Most most women just look at the now. 
And just say you decide to get pregnant by, you get pregnant by an athlete and you're thinking, oh yeah, I got 15,000 in child support and then he's not playing anymore and it's now 1,500. But your lifestyle was equipped for you making that 15,000 off of child support. Most women don't think about the future either, even with athletes and their finances. They're just thinking he can buy me a car. He can buy me this. I can be on social media as his girlfriend. I can get in the club free, not thinking that this is all going to come to an end. It's not, everybody's not Michael Jordan. Everybody's not Jerome Bettis or Shannon Sharp. It, it comes to an end for most athletes. Shortly yeah. after maybe five, the average lineman plays what three, four years, maybe before their knees give out. So you don't have much time. Well, like you said, the, the now the rookie contracts are all four years and in, in, in then in the first round, they're five years. So most athletes are done when the NFL, I can say, by 3.3 years away. And that's why the NFL allows you to get to retirement in 3.8 years. But they've done the math and they know you're not going to get there. So they're like, yeah, 3.8 years, your first contract will make you uh, in retirement and get financial uh, you know, payouts and all this stuff. But they know you're never going to make it. The vast majority of them don't. But also, you know, another thing you talked about was the mental, the mental health issue, which is something we, we like to talk about here on Mavs. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, and I'm not sure if we've talked about it before, but I'm glad that she brought it up. But, you know, football is the number one suicide sport for men. Of course. And it, 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 it happens from high school on, on forward because when you're in high school and you're the man and then all of a sudden maybe you went to college and you flunked out or you didn't make it in, in – college and now you don't know what to do with yourself you know uh you, your identity has been taken away or maybe you had a major injury in high school which then you couldn't play at the next level and the pain from that injury constantly is reminding you of what men identify as their failure so therefore yeah. now that they're in constant pain they're constantly reminded of failure and they don't have the help we don't supply the help for the the young men to come overcome it a lot of times. So then there's substance abuse and other things that happen and, and um, addictions come into play a lot for football players based on two things that we found in our research in the league and stuff is mental, mental uh, inability to like what you said, Keisha move forward from not being the man, not getting into clubs free and all that stuff. And the identification to their actual Jersey number and stuff, you know, cause you know, when number 75 walks in, Hey, seven, five, you up in the house. Well, next year there you got cut and there's somebody else wearing 75 on the field and you ain't 75 no more. And then the physical pain that people retire with. They retire and they have so much physical pain, they they struggle mentally to deal with it day in and day out. And they're 25, 30-year-old men that, you know, have 40, 50 more years to live with this kind of pain. So Yeah, and it's crazy because one of my boyfriend's college teammates, he was captain of the team, stars center and he tore his ACL and they told him he was pretty much, he couldn't play anymore. He got, his knees were messed up. And shortly after he killed himself because all he knew was football and he felt like he couldn't go on with life without football because that's all he knew. So that's like, I make a lot of posts on Facebook. Um, and I know people don't like him, but, uh, I always say, don't push your kids to think that all they have to do is football. And it's crazy because it's a lot of football dances. I like to call them that always push their son football, football, football. And then, you know, you're thinking, oh, he's going to Alabama and it's no, he's going to a Juco. Yeah. 
because he's uh, even for young kids, it's like they're not living up to that expectation. And you've pressured them so much to play football. And what you think is great is not great compared to, let's see, say a kid that goes to IMG. They're not the same. You, you may be famous in Detroit, but a kid that goes to IMG is probably going to go to somewhere in the Big Ten, somewhere in the SEC, some of the bigger colleges. And but you've put your you forced your kids to feel like they have to go to the big college. They have to go to the NFL. So even as young kids in high school, they're traumatized when they can't live up to their parents expectations. So I definitely feel like parents play a role in traumatizing kids young early as well by putting so much pressure on them on the field and not academically. It's like after whatever sport you play, they're not preparing them for that at an early age. There's also there's also a fault in in society to a degree too because it's like then you're going to get to that point where like David's saying like you're saying that you're going to hit like almost a stage of depression right like you're trying to cope with the next reality but then you're taught as a man don't show weakness you don't need help you can do it by yourself and then you get to that point where we're talking about this right and you get to the point of like suicide obviously is is the the end all but you know f- for some people they get to a point where even though they've hit rock bottom they're still too proud to ask for help and i think that that's obviously a, a terrible truth to this world a little bit so i think that's one of the areas that most colleges and professional sports fail athletes is that they don't um provide mental support Mm-hmm. For when it doesn't happen the way they planned or thought it would happen. Right. So it's setting them up for mental failure because they're not able to cope with it. Absolutely. And it's just like, it'll be like, um, say, I can't think of an athlete. Let's say Joe Smith. He was blue star athlete in high school. He gets to Michigan State or Michigan, wherever. And now he's not starting. And somebody else that, Went to somewhere else is now starting. You go from being a man to now I'm second string. I'm barely getting any plays. They're kind of already messed up in college. Mm-hmm. Like it, I've even seen it in college where kids can't deal with not being a man anymore. So now they're not focused on school. They're not focused on their books. They're focused on not living up to the expectation. No, I, I think this is not going to say it definitely affects them. It affects them even with dating because if now all the girls loved you because you were this big athlete and now they're like, oh, no, he's not starting. Now it's time to go to Joe Smith, who's starting. So it definitely plays on their confidence on and off the field, even in dating. Yeah, I think this is a great uh, opportunity to just say, you know, for for young men and women athletes out there, I mean, really know what you're getting into. Ask the good questions before you're getting to campus and once you're there, honestly, don't look at the transfer portal as a true option. Like work your butt off to earn the starting spot. Don't just transfer around and do things because that's that 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 lack of stability is just not a good look for you when it comes to scouting. Just so you know, when we're scouting you up, if you've been to two or three colleges because you weren't starting, you look like a sourpuss more than you do uh, somebody that can handle the the you know trials and tribulations of a pro career. But as far as dating goes. Yeah, sourpuss. Yeah, don't be a freaking sourpuss. Not in my, not in my, not in my team. I think y'all know me well enough now that that ain't gonna happen. But I mean, for dating, I really thank Keisha for coming on and talk about the dating stuff because 
I understand the no means no. And people will talk a lot about consent and things and what consent means, which is something that we will get further into in another broadcast down the line. But just knowing how to understand the dating world in college and in pros and understanding that, you know, women have scouting reports. And again, if you're a woman in the WNBA, there might be some guys out there that have scouting reports on you. And and you could be a, you know, top, you know, volleyball player and some guys at a volleyball match just trying to cue you up, you know, to to be with you. Um, so there are definitely people out there with alternative motives, no matter what gender you are. When you're a pro athlete, you stand out in the bars, in the clubs, just in the grocery store. So you can be a target anywhere you're at. And it sucks to say you have to be on, on point wherever you're at, but you still have to be aware of what's going on. And like, I loved your, your advice about buy him a drink versus him buying you a drink just to stand out in the club. So you don't look like somebody that's trying to get something from him right away you're willing to give something to him too. Yes. Well, Keisha, I definitely think you've given us so much time tonight. So if you want to, I want to give you just a minute here. You want to send some, some uh, social media love Where can everybody follow you follow the podcast again at dating Satan. We'd love for you to just have a minute to, uh, to just tell us what you're up to. So you can follow me on Facebook is dating Satan. Two separate words, dating Satan is the business site. Also, uh, dating Satan, the number two is the Facebook group. Um, Instagram is dating underscore Satan. And um, I prefer not to give on my per- my personal page just because I post a lot. Uh, you do? And I post a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, you can always go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Everywhere and listen to Dayton Satan podcast. You can go to uh, one institution media, one institution.com to look at Dayton Satan, the Mavs, all of the, I believe it's 12 shows on the uh, network. Mm-hmm. So you can click on Dayton Satan and listen or watch um, all of the podcasts, all of my episodes. I definitely have some entertaining ones. Love it. Love it. <laughs> yes, go you check, do. Go check it out today if you're listening today. Again, Dayton Satan. Keisha, I appreciate you so much for taking some time. We'll definitely have to have you back on, but this was really enlightening and really appreciate all the time tonight. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, David. You know I love you. Thanks very much. Love you guys. All right. So, David, we got a different perspective. That was, I mean, we could have went on so many different routes, like the mental health side of everything, the, you know, just relationship building and maintaining relationships. There's so many different layers that we could have went there. That was fantastic, though. We'll have to have her on. David Turner, again, bringing the, the fire interviews, man. I just can't. I can't even deal with you anymore. I just can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> well, I have to carry my weight a little bit. You always get the players that we want to talk to. And I'm like, you know what? I got to get some. I got to get some other people interested here. But um, not, you know, I knew she was going to bring it. Uh, her and I have had conversations about her past before and how she's dated athletes and their friends and all the stuff they've gone through. And again, the mental health is obviously it, it strings along into dating life. And, um, you know, the, the, a lot of these guys, since they're young, they get their, in, their ego inflated to the sure. point where it's like, you the man, you the man, man. Like, look at you, you the man, all the girls want you. And, and then when they're not, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know what, and, uh, and it's such a, a such a fall fall. I mean, it really is. And for sports like football, where people 
like, and I'm not trying to bag on this program. I'm just going to use it. And I use it as an example all the time, but you know, they go to Kansas and they think they're going to be a first round pick. And it's like the university of Kansas has not had a first round football player in two decades, I think. So it's like, you, you know, you're going to go there, you're going to play football, but their basketball play program is their meat and potatoes. That's what makes them the money is Kansas basketball. And so if you go there and play football and you think you're going to be a first round pick, it's like, Mm, probably not get your education stay all four years come out of it with a degree that was paid for by the university play football and if you make the nfl you do or don't it's up to you but you know don't i've seen so many kids and now recruiting is i only want to go three years and where am i going to go in the draft after three years and those are the wrong questions kids it's it's really you know what kind of degrees are your are players getting while they're in your program How's your how's your status for uh, you know trying to support the the study habits of your athletes? How much film are you requiring your your players to play or to watch? Because you know I, I want my kid to get a degree. If you're a parent listening, I mean, there's a lot of things like that that you really have to explore and look at when you're looking at institutions for your universities for your kids to go to. I don't know about you, David. When I was in high school, I was the man. I was absolutely. Yeah. And I, I okay. will say this. Obviously, it wasn't okay. level because I wasn't like a Division One stud football player. But after my career was over, because you know I had multiple uh, shoulder injuries and my my college career was ended, you know, very early <laughs> to say the least. It was a struggle for me, even for an ele- I like I was a good high school football player, obviously, and then I went to college, and then you know things didn't work out, and it is a mental toll, man. It really is. And then we're we're getting better. In the sense of like, people are more open to like, like, I need a therapist. I need to talk to someone. I need to take care of my mental, you know, just my, the mental side of myself. We're getting better. But I mean, even when I was growing up and I'm not old, you know, I'm going to turn 30 this year. Like when I was in high school, it, it felt like weakness to tell someone that you were struggling mentally. You know, I feel like we're getting, going in the right direction, but it's still not where it needs to be the ability to ask for help. Well, and I'll, I'll say this, my personal story, you heard Coach Edson talk about it last weekend well, or last week when we were on the show. My senior year in high school, I couldn't play because I tore my meniscus over the summer and I didn't tell people how bad it hurt. I just tried to gut through it. Yeah. And by the time we were like a week before hell week, my knee locked up. It physically locked up and I had to go into the doctor and get an MRI. And then when they saw how bad it was, they're like, this has got to be hurting you. Like, why haven't you said anything? And I was like, cause I wanted to play football. I, I just, right. I was whatever it took. So when I had the surgery and then by the time I did all the rehab and came back, I mean, it was just so hard to get back ready to play. I just didn't, do, I couldn't do it. I, I mean, I tried everything as you heard coach Edson. I, I didn't give up. I showed up, did all my rehab, did all my lifting, went to every practice. So mentally I'd be prepared if I got a chance to play. But it just didn't happen. I couldn't suit up my senior year. And I was a little lost. I honestly hung out with the football team. Those were my friends. I went to every meeting. I freaking was at pregame, all that stuff. I was on the sidelines. But I wasn't like part of the team. I was a lost guy my senior year for sure. Right. Um, until I got into college and I started powerlifting and became part of the California powerlifting team and did all that and winning my accolades there and really making my bones and everything there, I, I – I was spinning my wheels. I didn't, and I didn't ask for help. I was just like, I got to figure this out on my own, you know? 
but I'm a bit older than you too. So back then in my day, just yeah, bit, just a little bit older. Fantastic conversation. We do have some more things that we want to hit on tonight. I asked for some podcast questions earlier. We got some fantastic questions. What to try to hit story time with Uncle Dave if we can. What to try to hit some secret sauce before we do. As the world starts to open back up and workers return to the office place, uh, the uh, office place, are you looking how to improve team dynamics? Maverick Sports Consulting is here to help you welcome your employers, employees back to the workplace with some team building exercises. We will bring your company back together in an energetic way, a way that will motivate them to work together in person again. We are excited to help you welcome back your company to the in-person work environment. Sign up today at maverick So, David, I asked again, went on the, the Twitter earlier today, said, you know, ask me anything for that. Left it open to people. Of course, you know, there's mostly a football slant on most of these questions. But a couple of, of good ones. I mean, honestly, uh, we had our good friend, and I'm going to start here with Jack underscore Dispo, your boy, Jack Dispo. Said and this kind of goes. Uh-oh. I was on the. Oh, I was on. I was on their show giving them a hard time. So this might be payback. <laughs> no, no, it's actually a good one. You were just oh. talking a little bit about our careers and our own experiences. Question is, favorite moment from from your football career as a player or as a coach? So you know, just a little rundown memory lane. This is kind of like story time with Uncle Dave. I'll start it though because I want to <laughs> give you. All the time you want, because I, I mean, the many accomplishments of an 18-year scouting vet across the NFL, CFL, Arena League, three straight Arena League championships with the Arizona Rattlers. My biggest one, um, high school career, I would say, just off the top of my head, senior year. So I played at Maple Shade High School here in New Jersey, a, a group one football, very small football here in New Jersey. And Maple Shade had traditionally not been a very good football team. When I was on the team until, you know, a couple years after I graduated, we were like a 500 football team. You know, a couple years we went like six and four, seven and three, made the playoffs and all that type of stuff, right? My biggest accomplishment was my senior year. There's another program called Florence High School here in New Jersey, which is a power, especially on the, the group one level. Like the the coach, Joe Frapoli, I think has the most wins in South Jersey high school history, right? So we went into their house in Florence by senior year and beat them. I think it was 21-7, 20-7, somewhere in that ballpark. First time in 19 years that we had beaten Florence High School. And that was kind of my crowning achievement as far as like a high school career. I also was a pretty good track athlete, but as we're talking just about, uh, just about football, that was probably my biggest accomplishment outside of like the individual accolades, it was beating a team for the first time in 19 years. And I don't think that they've beaten them since then either. So in a, like a 35-year span or so, we'd only beaten that team once. And I was a part of that team as a senior. Now, David went to went to De La Salle. So, man, how many, how many accomplishments this guy has? Can we hear this one? Well, my 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 class, the, the 94 graduating class, um, we only lost two games in high school, one as a freshman, one as a sophomore. And then we didn't lose again. Uh, and we kicked off that 151 streak with the first uh, 26 wins or so uh, of that. So, yeah, it was different. It was different. Like, you know, like you heard Edson say, like we were a band of brothers and we were we, we lived. In, and actually, they're, they're actually. Here's a little plug, um, plug this coming plug. weekend on uh, on Sunday. 
they're putting our our class, our team in the De La Salle Hall of Fame, the whole team as a team to go into the Hall of Fame this Sunday night, the 27th up in uh, up in the Bay Area. So they're they're putting us in the Hall of Fame because that team, our defense, I think scored 24 touchdowns and only allowed 18. Um, like because we <laughs> we would intercept the ball and take it back, or our punt returner would take it back. So we scored more points on defense that year than we allowed uh, as a as a defensive group. So um, it was uh, it was a lot, and that 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 whole program taught me uh, immensely and a lot of good things. Um, but like you said, over eighteen years to pick one um, of scouting, I I, I mean. I'm proudest most of finding the players that others rejected or they didn't see the talent in. And then I, I was able to give those guys life um, by bringing them to the Raiders or the Giants or wherever I was um, and make an argument for them and, and be right. Um, so guys like Lauren Myers, who was an international 19-year-old player that was playing in a world league and we brought him to the the Raiders, and he got a couple trading camps before he got hurt. And but he and I was right, you know. And the uh, uh, Hiram Eugene, who came out in a supplemental draft, nobody wanted him, and we took him. And it took me three tryouts to get him to sign at the Raiders, but he ultimately wound up starting in the NFL and was a two contract guy. Um, you know, just lately w- walking on to you know Fort Hayes State. And finding Nate Shepard, where people, you know, D3 program the year before, the scout um, that was scouting him didn't write him up and put him on the Bledsoe list, and he wound up being a third-round pick uh, for the New York Jets, and he's still playing there. So finding players like that or even Darius Clark, friend of the show, I saw him at a workout this year. I'm on the street, no job. I go start working for ANC and show up to one of their workouts and then bring him to the hub, and now he's got a contract for the Carolina Panthers. So those moments are my proudest moments because it's like I knew this kid, this individual's athlete had the talent to to be something, to make something of themselves. They put themselves in position to hopefully have a a career, whatever it's a season or two season or three season career. And working in the alternative leagues like the UFL and Arena League, where, you know, the players were still very talented. They just might not be the length that you would like or the speed that you would like, but they had fantastic hands. I had a kid out of Michigan state over here at Arizona uh, at the Rattlers. Holy smoke. Sweetest hands I'd ever seen in my life. And I mean, I've been around Jerry Rice and, and Chris Carter and freaking Moss and all of them. This, this guy here had the sweetest hands. He just ran like a four, seven and he needed the high motion to make it work. And, you know, it was just like, you know, Reed could have played anywhere I was at in the NFL if he just had more speed. But Kerry Reed, I mean, that guy, his hands were so sweet. It was ridiculous. Like I've seen him more than one time reach behind his head, not even looking and suck a ball in. <laughs> and like, what? Like you didn't even you didn't even look. You just look and just put your hand back there and caught it. Like it was ridiculous. So um those are the moments. Those are the stories that when the memoirs get written, I'll talk about probably more about those kids and the first round ones that I, I was part of. 
Jack Dispo, I want to give a huge shout out to you, not only for the great question, but that's going to supplement story time with Uncle Dave for the night. So that will save us a little bit of time on the podcast. So shout out, Jack Dispo. <laughs> Next question, David. This one's going to go to me because I know you haven't dove in the 2022 draft yet because I don't know what you're waiting for, to be honest. Um, so we had handle is she loves roach is the handle. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't make these handles. It just is what it is on Twitter. Okay. She loves roach is the handle asked strongest and weakest position groups for next year's class. And uh, like I said, David hasn't dove into that yet. So I will tell you strongest, not a clue. (laughs) Strongest defensive ends. Absolutely. It is loaded, sir. Kayvon Thibodeau and George Karloftis. And And by the way, I talked about Thibodeau last year and you had to tell me he wasn't draftable. Because when I watched Oregon's wow. film, it was amazing. I was like, I said he wasn't draftable? Uh, yeah. last, no, last year he wasn't in the draft. You couldn't draft him. Got Yeah, he wasn't eligible. I was about to say he's a Because I would have drafted him in the first round last year. Well, I'm sure everybody else would have too if he was in, especially with the defensive end class that we just had last year. Absolutely. K-Bot Thibodeau would have been a top 10 pick with the class that we just saw at defensive end. But defensive end is fantastic. Jay Sanders, a lot of really good football players. Cornerback next year is Excellent. Everybody knows Stingley from LSU, Andrew Booth from Clemson. There is some fantastic cornerback safeties as well. Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, fantastic class. Interior offensive line, fantastic. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, top 10 football player that I have watched so far, playing offensive guard, transitioning to offensive tackle, but I still think he's a guy that's going to fit inside. Got guys like Jared Patterson from Notre Dame. We got guys like Lasita Smith from Virginia Tech. A lot of fantastic football players. Weakest class, interior defensive line, not great, not great. We have one potential superstar, DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M, and then we got a whole lot of question marks. And then, David, this one really pains me to say, offensive tackle next year is bad, sir. Not great. Not a great class for offensive tackles. Hopefully, you took advantage of the depth this year or the top four in last year's class with Becton and Wills and all those boys, Tristan Wirfs. Like, hopefully, you got one of those guys because if you're waiting for the 2022 class to get your book in at, at offensive tackle, you're not going to be too happy, I don't think. So, there's a little preview there for the 2022 NFL draft. We had Kevin Dern at Kevin MD4. Really nice guy. Was able to go live with him draft weekend a little bit. Dolphins fan asked, Aside from quarterback, which position do you feel is the toughest to evaluate? Kickers. Kick. Oh, well, yes. Fucking kickers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, yes. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely correct. 100% (laughs) specialist. 100%. Yes, I agree there. Um, Those those SOBs, I swear to God. Like, you'll watch one workout and you'll be like, oh, my goodness. And then they come to the next one. You're like, what, where, who invited this guy? Like what? Like it, it is, it is so hit and miss with those guys. And when you find good ones, like you, you got to hold on to them. I mean, it's definitely somebody that you, you, you latch. Like when we had Jano and, and in, in Oakland, you latched on, you held him. Shane Leckler, you latched on, you held on to him. John Condo latched on, held on to him. They were the highest paid of their position and we didn't care. Because we were like, at least we're not shopping around looking for new kickers, punters, or long snappers over the next few years. So, yeah, and kickers are so important too. And it, I feel like they're just so hard to find sometimes. So, 
I agree <clears throat> there. Well, I did want to throw one, you know, offense or defense position, not a specialist. Because specialist, I agree. But it's a little bit of a cop-out. A little bit, a little bit. I would say <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he didn't say offense or defense. He said next to quarterbacks was the hardest one, kickers. For me, personally. For you, it's probably any other position. Right, because I'm a terrible, right. But, <laughs> but for real, though, for a second, I don't want to say I struggle, but I think that safeties are a little hard sometimes just because there's so many different roles and the game has changed so much. There's There's some safety archetypes now that just don't work in the NFL anymore. Like John Lynch now would be a weak side linebacker. It's just that it's, if there's a shift happening, he'd probably be too small for that too. Well, he was like 225, 230 at a good spot though. And there's a lot of 225 linebackers. Now there's a whole lot of those run run and chase wills. Now I think safety is a little tough now because there's just so many different roles. Whether we're talking about a guy that's going to play on the roof as a single high guy, potentially too high. If we're talking about a guy that could play, in the slot and man coverage. There's a lot of different roles, which helps guys, you know, latch onto a niche. But I also think that there's just an evolution that's happening. And I think that some guys are, are I, I, like, I think that people like to get excited about these tweeners, right? These guys that like half safety, half linebacker, but those guys don't, don't usually find a roster spot because they don't fit into one spot too well, unless you're a special teams demon. Like, oh, the guy isn't quite lengthy enough or strong enough at the point of attack to take on blocks and shit and stack and shed. But, oh, he's also not quite rangy enough on the back end to make an impact in that area. So he's kind of in no man's land as far as like where he fits best. And unless he's a special team stalwart, that guy, just kind of a clunky fit so safeties i think would just be a, a position that i would throw out there i think that it's there's just kind of a ever-evolving role there that's getting a little in between so well, i think i think you're right honestly because a lot of it's scheme fit and how they're played in college and what they can translate to the pros it's going to be a scheme fit on safety so it's not hard to evaluate. You can identify their what they're doing, but is it going to fit your coach's scheme and what you're doing at the at the next level? Um, you know, are they going to fit in there or not? And then the guys that are the two twenty five, you know, safeties, can they put ten pounds on to transition to that weak side linebacker? Like you're saying, do they have the instincts to do that or not? Um, you know, or or what are they going to do? So you know, I think you're right. I think it's more that. I think, you know, evaluating safeties, we can teach anybody, obviously, you and I can teach anybody on how to do that. Um, it's just it's just about, um, you know, how they're going to fit the scheme. And teams now play base defense. I, there's one team that played base defense. You've heard me say this. There's one team in the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks, that played base defense more than 50% of the time. And people fall in love with the Jeremiah Wusukoromoas, which might be the exception to the rule, but the guys that play – what is traditionally a Sam linebacker, but like, hey, we're playing against so many spread teams that this guy is playing that overhang position, right? Playing the rover spot. In the NFL, they're taking that guy out of the game. So that, that position doesn't matter as much. Like, it used to be awesome to have a Sam backer that, you know, in passing situations and obvious third, like obvious passing situations, you could throw him into the overhang, but like you're not keeping that guy on the field anymore. So that position is less and less value. So if you're a, now a 225-pound guy that plays that rover position, that's all you've ever played, you better be able to play weak side linebacker. You better be able to have value in some other role because that Sam linebacker, that display Sam, 
does it matter anymore? It's not a well, thing. The only time it's going to matter is in the big nickel when you have 12 personnel in because that 12 personnel, which, again, we see the Chiefs, the, the Niners, um, certain teams use a lot of 12 personnel. Well, we'll probably see the you know Miami go to more 12 personnel this year from them drafting the tight ends and stuff down there. Um, so when you have 12 personnel, that, that guy will matter. But if yeah. you're building to win your division, most of what you find, right, like you said, Ryan, is 11 personnel, and that means that that linebacker's out and you're putting another corner in to play in the slot, and, and you're playing more nick, regular straight-up nickel than you are big nickel. Absolutely. And offenses are smart. We, we revere these offensive players. Yeah. You're going to make guys wrong. That's <laughs> the job of coaching is to make the other side wrong. Get them out of what they want to do. Make them uncomfortable. So there's a little scouting tip there. Last question that we had for tonight, David. This one's interesting. Uh, it's from Mitchell T. Wolf. He actually asked us to discuss a take from Dan Orvla- Orlovsky, okay, former UConn quarterback, now analyst. He, all right, so there's multiple layers to this. Are you ready for this? I'm going to break it down. The first part of this take, this is a terrible take, by the way. First take, potato chips are gross. He's for, completely wrong. Yes, potato chips are delicious. Like you might yeah. feel really guilty after eating potato chips, but it's never fantastic. Just, they're delicious. I got a whole thing over here. I got to turn around. I got a like, whole bucket of potato chips in over here. And there's so many different flavors now, too. And, and yeah. I don't like the exotic flavors, but it's like, you know, you want a barbecue chip, right? Sour cream and onion, I can get down. But with. he's probably just saying straight up like a straight up plain Lay's because you got so many options. They're delicious. You know, but they're are- still good. I mean, come on. You got a turkey and cheese sandwich and you got some Lay's. You're good to go. So second part of this take, tortilla chips are everything, which is basically him saying it's the best. I don't 100% agree, but I'm okay with that take because tortilla chips are delicious. I agree there. I live in Arizona. Every meal is almost a tortilla chip meal. I so. love tortilla chips, man. So I'm good with that take. Now it's a comparison of tortilla chips out here because <laughs> it's not as the, the argument isn't that they're not good. They are very good, but it's where do you have to get them from? Which ones do you like? Because, you know, there's so many out here. Next part. This is where it gets really weird. Ready? <laughs> okay. Also, if you scoop salsa instead of dipping it, if you scoop it instead of dipping, you're gross. This is from the Connecticut guy? Orlovsky, yeah. Former Detroit Lion quarterback, yep. Yeah, I know who he is. Listen, Dan, you come down to Arizona, I'll teach you how to eat (laughs) salsa. I'll take you to a spot, a little taqueria down the road. We'll teach you how to eat. The invitation's wide open. You tell me when you're going to be in town, I'll take you to the taqueria. And I will teach you how to eat salsa, but it ain't no dipping allowed. It is a scoop and score. It is a Last scoop part. and score. Last part. So you don't dip, you don't scoop salsa, but mm. he says that you do scoop queso and guacamole. All true. You scoop them all. I agree there. You do scoop those, but I, I don't understand why scooping salsa is gross. That's an odd take to me. I don't understand any of this conversation, but <laughs> great conversation. But, but again, uh, yeah, if you're scooping guac and you're scooping queso, you're scooping you scoop salsa, man. Scoop it all. Okay, we got through it. That wasn't the thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's the take from Mr. Dana with Lo- or, or Lo- I keep saying call him Orv Orlovsky. Orlovsky, yeah. So, shout out to the mailbag questions for the week. Like I said, we already had story time with Uncle Dave and his many triumphant memories in his football career. So, 
Last part, David. I want to get it through this because we're doing okay on time. We'll give it about five minutes here. Secret sauce. Want to give a little scouting tip, a little tidbit here. Talking tight ends, okay? So when you're evaluating the tight end position, could be a traditional inline, could be an H, could be a guy that you're going to play in the slot as, you know, your displaced Y, whatever you want to call them. Tips on scouting the position. Tight ends is a high, such a hybrid position and based almost on scheme, not as bad as safety, but it's faded away and now come back. Yeah. So when I got in the league, we always had like Shockey or, you know, um, someone like that that played tight end, you know, you know, you had the Bubba Franks and all that stuff. But um, they were bigger guys. They were 265 and, you know, they could run block and pass block. They would stand sometimes, but now it just seems like everybody runs a pattern. So more pattern running and releasing from the line of scrimmage. <clears throat> One thing that I don't think people pay attention enough to is releasing from the line of scrimmage versus press coverage. If a tight end has good ability to release from the line without getting jammed up and getting caught in the traffic and, you know, all the chaos that happens around the line, flowing linebackers, defensive ends looping, um, getting their feet caught up, all that stuff, then they become to me a little bit more valuable because they're able to gain ground quickly and not get caught up in that mess and that mesh of, of, of people that are all trying to do their jobs. So that's one thing. If I'm scouting a tight end, I, I kind of typically start with their stance and then how do they release from getting away from press coverage. And then, again, blocking, they have to be able to block. They have to be able to, you know, kind of what I call scoop block. You know, they got to work outside and seal the, seal the corner, seal the edge so running backs can get outside. They got to hold that position, not get pushed. They, you know, if they're doing a kickout block, they got to really kick the guy out widen that lane as as far as possible so the running back has somewhere to run into and get, you know, turn up field quickly. They need to be able to get to the second level and pick up those scraping over linebackers, work double teams and stuff like that. So, I mean, if I was a tight end coach, which, you know, if I were, I'm, you know, if anybody's looking for a tight end coach, I'll do it because I <laughs> love the position. But it double teaming with the O-line, working the bags, working the sleds, and then working on route running and understanding the defensive concepts because there are a lot of holes that open up based on the route trees the receivers are running and the concepts receivers are running that blurring linebackers and safeties out of position. So as the tight ends stretch in the field on the you know up the seam or on a hash, he's got to be able to read that safety and know which way they're going to go or read that linebacker that's covering them, know which way their responsibility is so he knows where the hole's going to open up. They're the safety valve a lot of times. They're not the focus. You know, one of the receivers is, is you know, focus one. Then the tight end might be two or three. So they got to know where the hole is so the tight end, uh, the quarterback can get it and give give the quarterback a wide open throwing window to throw through. So, you know, I think they have to be very smart players. Um, I, it's because they have, they have to know what's going on in the running game and the passing game. So tight ends to me are some of the smartest players on the team. Yeah. And uh, just to add on to a couple of your points, you talked about blocking. Obviously I want to look at hey, ability to create power in very tight spaces, powerful lower half, all that good stuff. But more importantly than anything, effort, effort as a blocker. I want to see a guy that has a want in that area. And then for me, if I just wanted to add something on, 
for me, there's three ways to create separation. Everybody always wants to talk about separation. One, and the most typical one for tight ends, usually they're taller, longer athletes. You can create separation in the air. You can use your body, box out, extend, full in the air. That's a way to create separation. Another way to create separation, being an athlete. Just be able to hit from point A to point B faster than a linebacker can. That's how you create that separation, the easiest type. And then number three is flexibility, the ability to work in and out of breaks as a route runner. The more ways that you can create separation, the more complete tight end you are, the more complete receiver in just general that you are. So I always ask, like, like for Kyle Pitts, right, that we talked about last year, the reason that Kyle Pitts was so special he could create separation in three different ways. He could out-athlete you, he could extend in the air, and he could win as a route runner. That makes him special. There's a lot of guys that can win in one way, maybe even two, but the more ways that you can win as a receiver on top of your 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 um, your want-to in the run game, your efforts, and the ability to create power in tight spaces, those things for me separate the good tight ends from the potentially great tight ends, like a Kyle Pitts, for instance. So that's just a little tip, a little insight into some tight ends. We are going to end the episode there tonight. I'm going to give David the final word, of course, but I want to do quick shout outs. Please, one institution, oneinstitution.com. Check out everything and all the shows that they have on the network. Some fantastic shows. Of course, we had Keisha on tonight. Her show, Dating Satan, one of the 12 great shows that are on the network. Want you to visit MaverickSportsConsulted.com for all of your football needs and all of your sports needs, all of your understanding of the sports world and preparation of the workplace. Want to make sure that we hit there. Go on Apple Podcasts. Go on Spotify. Go wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a review. If you see it, find us on Twitter at Mav underscore sports at Rise and Draft. Send us a little review on there. Tell us how much you love the show. Tell them that David Turner is the greatest person that you've ever heard speak to you. With that... David Turner, always going to give you the final word, friend. What do you want us to leave with Leave with us tonight? Well, I'm just going to leave you with this. Okay. Happy birthday to my sister, Deborah, and happy birthday to my mother, because they're coming up this weekend, both of them. They share uh, weekend birthdays. They always have. It's been really special. My my sister was the first grandchild of my grandfather, and he she was born on his birthday. And so they, in their entire lives until he passed away, they've had to share a birthday. And so over the last few years since he's been gone, it's kind of funny because she would grumble and grouch that she had to share. But now he's gone and she doesn't even want to celebrate her birthday because he's not around. So I always, I, you know, I try to do something special for her. And this year I'm going to be able to be up there for the weekend and be able to cook for them and do stuff. And then my mom's 75th birthday was last year because of COVID. I wasn't able to be there. So this year we're going to do a nice thing for her for her 76th. So I'm just, you know, we're going to be up there. We're going to celebrate birthdays, going to do all of it. And uh, I just want to leave with that for a family moment of happy birthday, mom, happy birthday, Deb. And we'll see you tomorrow afternoon when I fly up. listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? 
Visit mavericksportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.